Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. When he came to his own people, the Jews, they did not believe that he is their Messiah. John chapter 8, verses 57 and 58 say this. The Jews said to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? John 8.58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I existed as the Lord, God the Son. The term I am is a term that refers to deity. The Lord is the exact same as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in essence. And as such, he has always existed for all eternity with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. And as the Lord, he is God the Son, 100% deity, he is fully God. He is also Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, 100% true humanity and fully man. And his two separate and distinct natures are combined in one person. Nothing in the universe happens without the Lord's permission. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers and believers. We give unbelievers the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. We teach believers the Word of God, the Bible, the inerrant canon of Scripture, so that those who study can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. And we encourage believers to gather themselves together with other believers and not to retreat to doing everything online. You know, if you want to irritate me, that's a really good way to do it. If you're part of the resident congregation, I'll just get the lesson online. Okay, well, I'll just poke needles in my voodoo doll at home when I get there. And I hope you feel it all the way through your body. Now, of course, the non-resident congregation is accepted. They're non-resident. So they study with us online. And that's completely acceptable. But you'll notice that in the Pacific Northwest, they gather themselves together. They get together once a month. We have a conference there. And so they're doing the things that believers are encouraged to do by the Lord. Now, why study the Word of God? The Bible is the only book in the world with accurate prophecy. 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 say this, All flesh is like grass, and all the flesh's glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached as good news to you. It's really good news that we have something that we can study that is the absolute truth and not at all counterfeit. And we can compare everything we learn to the truth so that we know the truth that will set us free. We implore you to always compare what you learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Why? Because God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a deceiver who deceives everyone in the world, including you. A couple of lessons from now, we're going to show you the magnitude of the deceptions that you're under that you don't even think about on a day-to-day basis. Paul laments in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, put that verse up, thanks, uh, and that craftiness was insidious deceptions, your minds will be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There is nothing more simple than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is nothing more simple than fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Satan's temptations are directed at our egos. He wants to puff us up with arrogant pride, just like he had, so that we will rebel against God and his direction. And Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, he says, God is opposed to the proud. The proud are the arrogant believers. But God gives grace to the humble believer. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you at the proper time. 1 Peter 5, 7, Slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you. God considers your problems to be his responsibility, and those problems include Satan's temptations. He considers that to be his responsibility too. And Satan can do nothing to us without God's permission. Allow yourself to be humbled by our almighty God. Today's Bible lesson, the author of Colossians is appalling. Come on, Denny, give me one. The author of Colossians is appalling. Thank you. <laughs> a little late, but it's all right. So we've begun our study of the next biblical letter on our agenda, and we're overviewing what we'll be learning by answering questions. And you'll remember last week we asked, who wrote the letter that we are about to study? And the answer is the Apostle Paul wrote the letter. The next question, who is the letter directed to? The letter is directed to a group of first century believers in Christ who live in a small town in modern day Turkey, a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And the third question, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? And the believers live in Colossae, which is about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And so I gave you a map that will show you where Colossae is. And now that you have that map, you should take it home and compare it to what exists today. 
because you'll easily find on a current day map the Aegean Sea. You'll easily find Crete and Cyprus and Syria. And then you can compare the old world to the new world. But in today's lesson, what we'll answer is another question. What do we know about the author of the letter? Well, we'll see what the Bible has to say about Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul, who wrote this letter. Christians tend to be really judgmental of the pastors with whom they study. As a matter of fact, if you could gather all the people in a room who have left Barah Ministries over the year, and if you ask them why they left, all of them would say the exact same thing, because I have a pastor who's a human being. <laughs> I have a pastor who actually does human being things, and I think pastors shouldn't do that, because what pastors should do, blah, 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 those are all the people who are always pointing out everybody else's faults, and who have a complete amnesia about their own faults, as if somehow they're not a human being. And I always love watching that dynamic in human dynamics because the relationships that are good relationships in the world are the ones where people realize that they're in a relationship with a human being and they're not treating that human being like an object. You know, you hear a lot of the young women saying, I just want to be married. But you never hear a name associated with it. I just want to have a baby you never have a name associated with it because they want the marriage and they want the baby, but they don't want anything to do with the person who they have to be in a relationship with to get those things. And that's why you see so many uh, situations today where there is uh, unwed mothers and, and unwed fathers because the relationship isn't even a prerequisite for having, having kids. It's not. It's just whatever you want to do, do that. And the good thing about that is it's a 21-year sentence. I, I heard one lady describing it this week. You know, this was an amazing experience because I had babies when I was really young, and I had to put off life. That's the way she looked at having babies too long, young, that she had to put off life. And she's not wrong, because <laughs> when you're raising a kid, it's hard. So, anyway, we're going to study with this guy who has every fault known to mankind, the Apostle Paul. And if you knew one-tenth of the things that he's done in his life, you would consider him to be an appalling human being. Yet, he's the guy that our Lord chose to write more than half of the New Testament. And he's the guy we study with. So we look forward to learning about him one of the most interesting selections that the Lord made when he chose apostles. The worst person of all time. Well, happy 4th of July. Today we celebrate freedom in the United States of America. Little did we know how easily we would be willing to abandon our freedom voluntarily in fear of a virus. And so we spent the last two years scared to death that we're going to die, or somebody we care about is going to die because of a virus, that our bodies had been successfully fighting off for whatever the number of years we were on the earth before that. So as we celebrate America's 245th birthday, also known as Independence Day, I can't help but think our founding fathers would be dissatisfied 
with what we have done with the country. We are anything but independent, and we are certainly not united. However, as Christians, we don't lose heart because we know that we make a difference in this world, and we know that the Lord Jesus Christ still controls history. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory. He reflects his Father, and he is the exact representation of the Father's nature. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so as we do every Independence Day, let us be reminded of what this country stands for and how it began by listening to the Declaration of Independence. And one of the things that I always did, I made sure to do every year, is to read this to my sons. Because we have these documents that are the foundation of our country. We have a constitution that's been blown up by the Patriot Act. We have a Declaration of Independence that has been blown up by human uh, stupidity. But these documents are in place, and this is what our country stands for, even though we have drifted far from far afield in the matter. Well, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. We have 50 now, but we started with 13. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think our government has forgotten that. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish such government and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. We, as a people, have completely forgotten that. That we don't have to put up with what our government does to us. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And, accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms of government to which they have become accustomed. The Bible says it this way, no one who drinks old wine will ask for new wine. They'll say the old wine is good enough. And that's exactly what we do. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design 
to reduce people under absolute despotism, tyranny. It is their right. In fact, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these 13 colonies, and such is now the necessity that constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. And to prove this, let the following facts be submitted to a candid world. We have relationships in our lives that are like this, where the other person has demonstrated time and time again over the course of time that they want nothing to do with us and that if they want anything to do with us, it is that they want to hurt us. And at a point, you have to call it. And one of the big struggles of Christians is we think that we're doing something wrong if we say enough's enough. But even the Lord's relationship with Satan, he says enough's enough at a point. So that's what this list of usurpations was about. So after the, use, after the list of usurpations, the writers continue. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the humblest terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we, we been wanting in, attition, in, in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. We've warned them time and time again to stop hurting us. And they're not listening. And they, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representative of the United States of America in General Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, to conclude peace, to contract alliances, to establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states might of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, 
we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. A few good men took on the largest nation in the world, Great Britain. A nation that had land in every single part of the world. A few men took them on. And with this declaration, told them that we were no longer friends. That is absolutely amazing. This Declaration of Independence ought to be stenciled to every barbecue grill in the United States of America so that before you get to grill, you have to read it. One of the most amazing things ever written. God bless America. <laughs> yeah, we don't need you to sing. Okay. We're, we're, we're going to get to you at the end. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear some music since June wants some music. Our founding fathers, despite their imperfections, despite their sinfulness, and with all their failures as human beings on the journey of life, still penned one of the greatest treatises of freedom outside of the Bible. And it's easy to see how the Declaration of Independence was divinely inspired. As a tribute to our founding fathers, let's hear the Gaither vocal band sing the song, a few good men. What this dying world could use is a willing man of God dares to go against the grain and work without applause The man who raised the shield of faith Protecting what is pure Whose love is tough and gentle A man whose word is sure God doesn't need an orator Who knows just what to say he doesn't need authority to reason him away. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a few good men. Men for love, compassion, who laugh and love and cry.
needs a few good men, but there are a lot of good men and women in this world, and not just a few. Let us pray. Almighty God, uh, we're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the tribulation and the challenges of living in a world where chaos is rampant. Thank you for giving us brave men and women who dare to stand on principles and who are willing to do what's right. Thank you for the clarity that your personal plan for us gives to our lives. Thank you for the confidence a relationship with you and your Son and our our Lord and Savior brings to our existence. And thank you for the direction provided by God the Holy Spirit. Help us to stop counting on ourselves for power, and instead let us remember to count on you. Give us lives that are beyond our wildest dreams. Surround us with people who are on our side, and who love obeying your will. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the author of Colossians is appalling. The author of Colossians is appalling. Well, Paul is the author of the letter to the Colossians, and there have been many things said about him throughout history. But none of the things either said or written by human writers could be more convincing than the things said about him in the inerrant canon of Scripture, the Bible, a book of absolute truth. So here are a few of the many things that you should know about him. This is a lesson that could have gone on for six months because there are a lot of things in the Bible that are said about Paul. The first thing the Bible says about Paul is that Paul was a hater of Christians. Don't hate. Paul is the hand-picked choice of the Lord Jesus Christ to write the mystery doctrine of the church age. The church age is the age that we're in in divine history. It is the fourth of seven ages in divine history. And so we had the age of the Gentiles, then we had the age of Israel, then we had the age of the hypostatic union, the 33 years when Jesus was on the earth, then we had the cross, And now we have the church age, the most magnificent age in divine history. Now, it's a bit ironic that the Lord would pick such a hater to do his work. Several things made Paul the perfect person for the job in God's eyes. Paul knew the Jewish culture and language very well. He spoke Hebrew because he was Jewish. He was raised in Tarsus, so he was well acquainted with the Greek culture and the philosophies of the Greek culture. He even knew the Greek language. So if you look at your map, and you look over to the right-hand side of the map, up in the orange section, you'll see a word, Cilicia. That was an area, and right under Cilicia, C-I-L-I-C-I-A, right under Cilicia is Tarsus, and that's where Saul was from. And so he was well-versed in the Greek culture because Greece is not very far from Turkey. And as a matter of fact, it was funny because when I went to Greece, uh, we were on a tour of the Parthenon, and the, the guy who was the guide kept giving shots to the Turks. He was being really sarcastically critical of the Turks because the, the Greeks and the Turks hate each other. And so I took him over to uh, a ledge, and I said, come here for a second. I said, look down there. And it was a cliff and a big fall off. And I said, do you know why the Greeks were so good at warfare? 
He said, yeah, because we were great warriors. He goes into his little rant. I said, no, it's because you had the high ground. See, the Turks would come crawling up here, and all you had to do was kick some dirt in their face, and they'd fall off the, off the side. That doesn't take any great warrior status. He didn't talk to me for the rest of the tour. He almost gave me a refund he did, to get me off the tour. He didn't want me on the tour anymore. But anyway, Paul was familiar with the Greek culture because if you lived in Turkey, you couldn't not be familiar with somebody that you despised. But Paul didn't despise them. He was a, a great historian in the matter of what was going on in Greece. He had all the privileges afforded to a Roman citizen. So he was the equivalent of American citizen. American citizens are revered all around the world, even though we, as we go around the world, act as stupid as you possibly can act. He was trained in Jewish theology, and he was capable in a secular trade, tent making, so he was able to support himself. So he was the perfect candidate, and believe me, God orchestrated all of that. God gave him zeal. Zeal is the Greek word dioko. And when Paul is described in the Bible as, when his attitude toward killing Christians is described, the word that's used is dioko. He had a zeal for it. And when later on, when he is described in how he wrote the mystery doctrine of the church age and evangelized to the Gentiles, the word that was used to describe his attitude was dioko. So if you think that God the Holy Spirit doesn't have a sense of humor, he does. Because he was dioko bad and he was dioko good. Crazed, zealous, passionate, intense, with amazing leadership qualities and amazing theological insight that has provided us with a spiritual life. But he was a hater of Christians. Christianity was spreading like wildfire, and Paul intended to stamp it out single-handedly. And anyone or anything that threatened the Jewish culture and the Mosaic law was Paul's target. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 describe him. They say, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Acts 9, 2 and asked for letters from the high priest to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if Paul found any belonging to the way, and that's what they call Christians at the time, the way, I am the way and the truth and the life, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, if he let them live on the way to Jerusalem, because it sure is better to, easier to kill somebody than it is to drag them all the way to Jerusalem. This was a request for extradition, which Paul was influential enough to secure. Second thing we should know about Paul. Paul was a hater. Second thing, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a relentless persecutor, a murderer of Christians, men, women, and children. He is the worst person of all time. The Lord was not pleased with Paul's conduct, and the Lord knocked Paul off his high horse. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 and 4 say this, And Paul was traveling, as Paul was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. 
And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Acts 9.4 And Paul fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This was the Lord speaking to him. The funny thing about Paul's response, you, you guys should read Acts chapter 9, because in verse 5, the funny thing about his response was, he said, Who are you, Lord? <laughs> he knew exactly who knocked him off his horse. The Lord considered it a personal affront that Paul was persecuting his believers. By the way, Saul of Tarsus is his given name and his, the location of his birth, but Paul was his Roman name. It was quite common for people of the day to have a Greek name and a Roman name. So Saul was his Greek name, Paul was his Roman name, same guy. Just like it was common for the pantheon of gods to have Greek and Roman names. For example, you're familiar with Cupid. Cupid, draw back your bow, you know, the little guy on Valentine's Day. Well, his Roman name is Cupido, but his Greek name is Eros, from which we get the word erotic. So this was very common. Now, if you take a look at the map you got today, on the right-hand side, you can approximate the distance between Jerusalem and Damascus. So Damascus is over in Syria in the pink area, and then below that, down in the green area, you'll see Jerusalem. That distance was 136 miles by foot or on a beast of burden. So Paul had to be quite zealous to want to traverse 136 miles on foot. It was time-consuming. It was expensive because you had to have all the, the supplies to make that trip. But Paul was up to it because he was lit up to destroy all Christians. Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. I, Paul, am the least of the apostles. He is not being self-effacing here. He's telling the truth. And I am not fit to be called an apostle. He is not being self-effacing. He's telling the truth. Because I persecuted the church of God. That's the understatement of the century. He killed men, women, and children. He sponsored the killing of men, women, and children while he stood and watched. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Because I labored even more than all of the apostles. Yet not I doing the labor, but the grace of God working within me doing the labor. So Paul was a hater. Paul was a persecutor of the church. But God made Paul an apostle. That's the third thing Paul is, an apostle. By the grace of God, Paul was an apostle. And as you'll remember, an apostle is someone who actually has seen the resurrected Lord. Paul did. He heard him on the Damascus Road, and he met him during his training program to become the apostle to the Gentiles. Here's how Paul describes his apostleship. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, he says, This letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of Christ Jesus, by calling an apostle, and set apart by God the Father, 
for the dissemination of the gospel message of God the Father as a minister. Romans chapter 1 verse 2. And this is the gospel message that God the Father promised beforehand to the human race through his prophets in the holy scriptures of the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1 verse 3. A gospel message concerning God the Father's Son, the Lord, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, Mary and Joseph, as true humanity, whose name is Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, Romans 1.4. And Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with enabling power through his resurrection from the dead, accomplished through the enabling power of the God who is the Spirit of Holiness, God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Jesus, the Christ, our Lord, God the Son. Romans 1.5 Through whom I, Paul, have received from God the Father both grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ's person. Romans 1.6 Among whom you, as believers in Christ, also are the possession of Jesus Christ by calling. Romans 1.7 and this letter is written to all of you who are the beloved, the divinely loved ones of God the Father, especially you believers in Christ living in Rome, saints by calling, the set-apart ones, set apart for privileges that would stagger the imagination. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is a persecutor, of the church, he is a hater, and he is a, an apostle, made so by God. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll continue learning about the author of the letter to the Colossians. Take a five-minute break.
talking to me saying who do you think you are I say I'm just a nobody Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the author of Colossians, is appalling. 
The author of Colossians is appalling. Well, speaking of appalling, it's appalling sometimes how stingy Christians can be. Now, that doesn't describe the believers who listen to Barah Ministries. Today, my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit keeps on opening your hearts with a spirit of generosity. It's my sincere hope that he gives you a burning desire to provide your treasure regularly as a habit to enable the distribution of the gospel message through this ministry so that it can be received and enjoyed by people all around the world. We're going to show you some statistics next week, but on Facebook, about over 3,000 people are engaged with Barah Ministries through Facebook in 45 countries. So when I say, you know, oh, we're a worldwide ministry, yeah, in your dreams, well, <laughs> no, it isn't my dreams, it's an actuality. But we don't get to see the impact all the time, but that impact is provided by you because we would not be able to exist if you weren't supporting the ministry in such a way that we could do the things that we need to do to get the gospel message out. So Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says this, One who is gracious to a spiritually poor man lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his investment. How about that? So nothing you give isn't going to be replaced. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall. I'm blessed to have been born in the United States of America. And I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries unites Christians worldwide. This is a place for real people to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth of the Word of God. And I say unites because I'm tired of the disunity. It started with Adam and Eve. They were deceived. They didn't make the decisions together. And look what happened. They thought they could be perfect. And I think we still, try, we still strive to be perfect. You see the disunity in our country. These people calling out, United States like it's, a, like it's the worst country in the world. It's the best country in the world. If you've traveled the world, which I haven't exclusively, but I know several people who have, and they, they say that's just a different world out there. We are spoiled in this country, and we just treat it like it's garbage, but it's not, and I'm tired of that. You know? And I feel like people strive for perfection in a country, but this country is great already, you know? and it's very similar in marriages. Women always strive for more in the husband or more in something else, but the marriage and the husband's already perfect. Same thing for this, you know, this, this family. You know, families have, they have all this stuff. They look at people on Facebook and Instagram, and they think, oh, man, my family's horrible compared to this family. But they don't know the truth. We just see a glimpse, and we think, oh, I need to make my family perfect like this guy. And we just, we just have this striving for perfection in our own power all the time rather than just being patient in God. It's not about being perfect or imperfect because we're perfect in God with his righteousness. You know, and I think that same thing happens at a church. Oh, this church isn't perfect. Look at this building we're at. Oh, it's, it's not up to par, you know. And this place is great compared to where we've been. We've been some pretty shady places. <laughs> yeah, they're a little, little sus where we've been sometimes, and, and that's just part of God's plan. So, you know, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be place, patient in His plan. And I think a lot of times we do that for offering. Oh, my offering isn't perfect, so I'm, or, you know, my, my amount I'm not going to give is not perfect, so I'm not going to give it. 
just give what you can. You're the, you know, you're, you're the commander of your checkbook, so you know what you can give. And give of your first fruits, not of your last. Give to, at the beginning of the month, not at the end of the month. And those, those are just simple things to do. And we know that because, um, I mean, it's, I had another example I was thinking, you know, people, people look at their body and they want, oh, I want to have perfection. And they're a little chubby, so they start working out. A year later, they're, they're ripped, right? And so now they're at that bodybuilder level. And again, their, their image, their body image goes back to negative. Because now that as a bodybuilder, they're just average. You look at these other people, oh, now I have another thing to attain to. Now I have to be more perfect and bigger and bigger. And we just shoot ourselves in the, in the foot, you know? What are you saying there? We shoot ourselves with steroids. Yeah, and then we start steroids, and then it's, it's all bad. And so, but the point of it is we, we don't have to strive for perfection. We just have to be patient in the God. And we always... In striving per, for, for perfection, I think we cause disunity. We try to do our own thing away from people rather than working together. So let's work together in our marriages, in our family, in our nation, and especially in our church. And this is a moment to work together at the offering. We're unifying our checkbooks. We're unifying our mission. And right now, we're unifying all of our spirits. And you think about it. The, God is within all of us here. And that's amazing to be joined here all together at this time. And you know, I just want us all to remember Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of spiritual maturity yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Not perfection. It doesn't say perfection in there once. And I didn't say it's a perfect pastor or a perfect church. I said this is a real church. So let's just remember that. We're the real people out there that that this message matters to not just us. It's real easy to get wrapped up in your own world and your own life and forget that there's a whole, nother, a whole world out there that needs God, needs Christ in their life. And so thank you for always supporting that message and our pastor.
Yeah, that's right. Maybe we just haven't seen that unity yet, but it's coming. It's coming. We'll be in heaven one day. This is, something's going on with this thing. Come and help me, Denny. We just haven't seen it yet. He is moving with a love so deep. Hallelujah for the victory. You know you like it. You know you like it. It's good. Shut up, June. <laughs> Thanks for a great offering message, Deacon Denny. I'm, I, I'm sick of the disunity too, man. I know exactly how that feels. Today's Bible lesson, the author of Colossians is appalling. The author of Colossians is appalling. Well, let's continue our look at the Apostle Paul, the hater, the persecutor, the apostle. The next thing we need to know about Paul is that he had credentials. Don't take my word for it. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. It says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Repetition of the Word of God is very important. Philippians 3, 2, beware of the dogs. That's Paul's term for the Judaizers, the false teachers who were coming in and trying to disrupt what Paul had done in his teaching. He was calling them unclean animals because at that time we didn't have dogs who were getting pedicures and and going to dog hotels. (laughs) They were mongrels that were roaming the streets. Beware of the evil workers. That's a great term for false teachers. Beware of the false circumcision. And what he's talking about there is the physical circumcision, the Jews who were unbelievers. Philippians 3.3 For we believers in Christ who are Gentiles or Jews who are also also Christians are the true circumcision. We who worship in the Spirit of God and we who glory in union with Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.4 Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I should far more. And now Paul starts to give his credentials. Philippians 3, 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a Jewish tradition. You want to know God's sense of humor? Every time a Jewish male looks at his penis, which they call in slang, schlong, putz, and schmuck, every time they look at their penis, they are reminded of the covenant between God and the Jewish people as the chosen race. That's what the circumcision was about. I am of the nation of Israel. That's God's chosen nation. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, the toughest and most demanding of the Jewish tribes. I am a Hebrew of Hebrew. I am Jewish of the chosen people of God with two Jewish parents. And as to the Mosaic law, a Pharisee, a 20-year minimum student in Jewish tradition and Jewish law. Philippians 3, 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the self-righteousness which is in the Mosaic law, he's referring to legalism, found blameless in my own eyes. Philippians 3, 7, but whatever things were gained to me in the human realm, 
Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You want to switch it? Okay. We're going to take a quick pause so we can switch the microphones because this microphone is starting to act a fool. It's probably the Apostle Paul sending down some interference from heaven. We are back with the new microphone. Let's pick it up at, so we just finished Philippians 3.7. So let, I'm going to read Philippians 3.7 again. So whatever things were gained to me in the human realm, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It was like being a Roman Catholic and being involved in systematic theology for me. Fifty years of loss. Philippians 3.8. More than that. I count not just these things, but all things to be lost when compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord with a deep, intimate, and personal relationship for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. The Greek word for rubbish is scubula, and it really means human excrement. So in English, we would say shit. So, you know, the, but the translators are always trying to inject their legalistic viewpoint. And so you hear that word translated as rubbish, as dung, as refuge, everything but what it is. And Paul was being strongly emphatic in the use of that word. So, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain a relationship with Christ. Philippians 3, nine, And so I may be found in union with him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from following the Mosaic law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. What, what is the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ? Absolute righteousness, imputed to you at the moment of salvation. The righteousness which comes from God the Father on the basis of faith in Christ. Philippians 3.10 that I may know Christ, and that I may know the power of his resurrection, and that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Philippians 3.11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What do we want? We want to put off all of our human merit things and adopt a solid relationship with Christ. Because that's the relationship that is taking us into all eternity. And eternity beyond anything we could ever ask or think. The Bible has more to say about Paul, but we'll save it for another time. The thing that is amazing to me, and is often forgotten by Christians, is that the Lord picked the worst person of all time to accomplish the Lord's most important task. Bringing the gospel message to unbelievers 
and bringing the Word of God in writing to Christians. And more than that, bringing the Word of God to the Gentiles whom the Jews thought were less than, than cockroaches. Yeah, my thought is that few of us would want an intense, passionate scumbag like Paul as a pastor or as a friend. In the human realm, we would judge him. In the human realm, we would say we wanted nothing to do with him. Yet look at what God thought. And that's the difference between looking at things through God's eyes and looking at things through human eyes. Because when you look at God through God's eyes, you see why God is doing the things he's doing with each person. And you know that each person is on a unique journey. And so you're not busy judging their journey or trying to superimpose your viewpoints about what their journey ought to be like but you're acquiescing to God's perfect knowledge of what the perfect thing is for you and for these people. So, I would want a relationship with Paul. I think he's a great guy. Maybe we need to start seeing other people through God's eyes instead of through distorted human eyes. Because Paul was an amazing man. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are for anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is for you to make the right decision, the most important decision of your life, the decision for or against Christ. It's a decision that all of us come here to make. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wants you in heaven, living with him for all eternity when you close your eyes in this life. The Lord says there are only two possible destinations for your eternal future. Either heaven, the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, the wide gate and the broad way. Described in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through the wide gate. Matthew 7:14. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life, eternal life. And there are few who find the small gate. That's one of the things that's going to be the most shocking to all of us in heaven. is how few enter through the narrow gate. You know, people, what people do... And what we're going to learn as we study the, the book of Colossians is that what people do is they manufacture their own religion. They say, yeah, Christianity's got some good stuff, but I want to mix in some Buddhism and some transcendental meditation and some yoga and all these other things. And they don't understand that that can obscure what exactly it takes to get to heaven. And what it takes to get to heaven is a very simple thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think that there's strength in numbers. Yet that's not true. Believing what everybody else believes does not save you. Placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves you. So there are a lot of people hiding in megachurches today, thinking that they're saved when they're not. Because they're not hearing an accurate gospel message. What they're hearing is a bunch of entertainment and a bunch of begging for their money. And then what they're, what they're being told is they're being put down. They're being told that their life is inadequate. And if they just give enough money, that their life will be adequate. And that message is sexy. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, though, is the author of your salvation. He's 100% God. That's why we call him the Lord. He's 100% man, true humanity, just like you and me. And that's why we call him by his name, Jesus. He is the Jewish Messiah. And that's why we call him the Christ. Jesus says he is the small gate. Jesus says he is the only way to get to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life, the Zoe life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The Lord's plan to get you to heaven is detailed in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. Now those on the broad way that leads to destruction place their confidence in Satan's plan for them. God's enemy is a liar who sponsors false teachers. The Lord Jesus Christ warns you about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, appearing harmless, who inwardly are ravenous wolves out to destroy your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, false teachers threaten your chance for an eternity in heaven by deceiving you with a false gospel message. A false gospel message is a gospel message that says, believe in Christ plus something else. There is no plus. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 illuminates the issue. There is a way that seems right to a man saving yourself by thinking that good deeds will earn your salvation. But its end is the way of death, the second death in the lake of fire. Get yourself on the narrow way that leads to eternal life in heaven right this minute. Tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Which road will you choose for your eternal life? Don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you're on. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent. Change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in his gospel message. Heed the warning in John chapter 3 verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son shall not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Another warning for those who choose the broad way is offered in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, and 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven by obeying the gospel message will enter heaven. Matthew 7:22. Many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name didn't we cast out demons? And in your name didn't we perform many miracles? Matthew 7:23. And then I will declare to them, this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practiced a lifestyle of lawlessness. Who is this God that offers to save you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 
I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message, the good news I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ has a true gospel message. It is the will of God the Father that you believe in his Son and that you have a personal relationship with him. Those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. If you choose the narrow way, I'll see you in heaven. Well, let's close with some music. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we learn that our Lord is a fan of freedom. He's a liberator who paid with his blood to bring, out, bring us out of bondage of slavery. Slavery to sin and slavery to the law. Galatians 5, 1 says this, It was for freedom that the Lord Jesus Christ set us free. Therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. For all you who are listening, who have yet to make the greatest decision of your lives, the decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to count on Him for your salvation, here's June Murphy to sing one of her amazing songs, Calling You to Freedom.
come if you got any sense. <laughs> Calling you to freedom, you better answer the phone. Let's close with words of worship for our almighty God. Philippians 4, 6. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. The opposite of worry is prayer. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace. You who are in union with Christ Jesus. Jude one twenty four. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through our union with Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for teaching us about one of your great servants, Paul. Thanks for the message that it isn't our personal greatness or our personal credentials or even our attitude that matters. It's what you're able to do through us. And you were able to do amazing things through the worst person in the world, and that means that you're able to do amazing things through us as well. Help us orient to your will. Help us be obedient to your will. Help us have the spiritual eyes to see exactly what it is you want us to do. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.